It's Wednesday, July 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Hello. We are going to dig deep into the cable TV industry. We're going to talk a little 7 Eleven because, you know, it's 7 Eleven Day. It's, you know, it's July 11th. Uh, but we're going to start in the world of big box retailers. Shares of H.H. Gregg down more than 35% this morning after the the company cut its full-year forecast. Um, Jason, we've talked a lot in this room about Best Buy, but clearly Best Buy is not the only publicly traded electronics store that is facing some significant headwinds. Clearly, clearly. Uh, yeah, I mean that last last uh, earnings quarter when I when I looked over H.H. Uh, Gregg's situation, it, you know management seems to be doing a lot of good things and really trying to to manage the business through a tough time. But I, I called it at the time a spicy meatball, and right now I think you know unfortunately we're feeling a, a lot burnt of heartburn. Burn. Yeah, we're feeling a lot of heartburn from today because they they cut guidance for uh, this fiscal. For the entire quarter. year, um, and yeah, they see, they see just a lack a lackluster year in general. And the biggest problem is that the weak demand in video continues. Uh, basically, TVs in general, and I think that you know part of this is because we're in a period of time where the TV is being redefined. Uh, whether it's an iPad or an iPhone or any other tablet device, the TV is being redefined. How we watch TV, we get it when we want, uh, wherever we want, and so where they were really counting on that video segment to to pick the business up, it's not done so. Uh, so then what they are doing is they're falling back on the heavier uh, appliance uh, segment, which is a higher margin segment. And, and to be fair, in their product mix uh, for this quarter, it does look like they're selling more in the ways of appliances, but that's not making up for the fall in video. And so when you have a stock like H.H. Gregg, it's a small cap company. Uh, they have a small amount of the shares that actually float on the open market. And just to top it all off, it's a hev- heavily shorted stock. Uh, today's news you know, we talked about Nike being an overreaction. Today, I don't know that I would call it an overreaction. It's probably pretty fair because big box is so tough. Amazon is, is the beast out there that just keeps on taking share in seemingly every bit of retail space. And, uh, and I just, man, I don't know how H.H. Gregg is going to deal with this. Joe, given everything we have talked about in the past regarding Best Buy and the challenges that company faces, is this at all a, a surprise? No, not a surprise at all. They're dealing with the same big picture issues. You got a lot of content going online. Now, HH Gregg is more, you know, big physical appliance centric. About half of sales come from appliances and a third are from TVs. But, you know, we've talked about on the show before, TVs are just a terrible place to be right now. And I think a lot of it is just having to do with upgrade cycles. People don't need to upgrade from their 46 inch flat screen to a 50 inch 3D flat screen for the cost of, say, $800. You know, people are pretty happy with a large TV, and you can hang on to a TV or a washing machine for a pretty long time and put off that expense, and there's no rush. And these guys are just getting absolutely savage. There's a little bit of a ripple effect here because uh, shares of Best Buy down more than 5% this morning, as you know, and, and in the media it's being attributed to essentially being dragged down by yeah. this. Uh, Jason, unbelievable quote from uh, an analyst at Morningstar uh, who told Reuters, quote, we've seen a significant market share shift to Amazon and to a lesser extent companies like Apple, Costco, and Walmart. That's, that's kind of everybody, isn't it? Isn't that basically Pretty like we've seen a market share shift away to everybody else? 
And, and, and I mean, so, you know, we, we look at, so H.H. Craig is a company we still follow over at Stock Advisor. Best Buy is a company that we used to follow over at Stock Advisor. And I think we've seen just through time, this big box model is really getting hammered. Best Buy is, is reshaping their, their whole uh, store base. They're going with a sleeker look, trying to copy Apple. I'm not sure what H.H. Craig is going to do there in regard to that. But yeah, regardless, it's a difficult model to pull off, especially as technology is allowing uh, people to go out there and place their order and have it shipped to them. And, you know, Joe made a good point there in regard of the TV cycle because, you know, one of the things that uh, I think investments in Best Buy and in H.H. Gregg at a time uh, were based partly on that the, the 3D television set, which, you know, has been more or less a bust. I mean, I, I don't know anyone that has one. I don't think it's really uh, come through as, as a real product that people are out there demanding. And, and Joe's right, you know, washing machines, TVs, those types of expenses, you can put them off for a long time. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Uh, Joe? Yeah. Well, I think there's kind of a scary element unknown with the stock, too, where they're still angling to boost their their store count by about 10% this year. If you're an investor and you're looking at this, their same-store sales are down about 20% over the last two years, and they're talking about growing your store base. If you're an equity investor, you're probably thinking, so you're just going to set more of my money on fire, (laughs) basically. And that's a completely valid concern, and I think that's part of the reason you're seeing people just completely dive out of the stock today. I mean, when you look at it from a valuation perspective, it's only selling at about three times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is a pretty common way to look at uh, retail valuations. And that is dirt cheap. That basically says there's a significant chance these guys are going under within the next five to 10 years. You know, Walmart's at like eight and a half. Total context, Best Buy is actually worse at two and a half. So it's very cheap. But even though it's cheap and the stock is trading at its lowest point in more than three years, it sounds like you're saying this is a value trap. Yeah, I think so. I like cheap, but I like a catalyst. And in this case, I still think their secular headwinds are coming against them in a way. I don't know how they're going to ultimately turn that around. The only thing that could be a saving grace here, at least in my opinion, is a big economic recovery that would lift all boats. Yeah, I like Joe's. It's cheap, no doubt about that. But but I just warn all investors, anytime you look at an investment – if it's cheap, it's usually cheap for a reason, so you need to dig into what that reason really is before going any further. Robert Johnson, the founder of Black Entertainment Television, said that online viewing options will force the cable TV industry to unbundle its channel choices within two years. He said this uh, yesterday at a media conference in Sun Valley, Idaho. And Joe, he said that Hulu and Netflix don't force consumers to buy channels they don't watch. I'm I'm struck by this because it's Robert Johnson. This isn't Reed Hastings coming out and saying cable needs to change its ways. This is one of the leaders in the cable industry coming out and saying that. What do you think of this? Well, as a consumer, I'd be thrilled if I could actually just pick and choose a la carte the channels that I want. I don't want every channel under the sun. And I appreciate that and cable companies get that by bundling all these things together, it does create more of a holistic value for the consumer. But as we get more and more internet video options, it's tougher to justify having all those channels when you don't necessarily want them. I don't think two years is a practical time horizon, though. You know, remember these cable companies have long-term deals, multi-year deals with content providers and producers who you know, aren't likely to just tear up their valuable contracts and move to something that they think isn't a winner. Yeah. No rush. Johnson said that 17 channels, Jason, 17 channels account for 85% 
of cable uh, cable TV viewers. Look, all I know is I'm glad that I don't have Dish Network. <clears throat> if they took away my AMC and I missed the Breaking Bad season premiere, <laughs> I'm going to be really angry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something we've seen time and time again here that the internet is changing the way people watch their TV. They get their TV. Companies like Netflix provide compelling opportunities uh, to, to really whittle down those those cable costs. Uh, Amazon doing the same thing with their Prime membership offering free streaming. Uh, it's it's really a difficult time, I think, for those standal, standard cable operators because you know, if I'm at home, I've got, I don't know, we have Verizon Fios and we have probably you know, what, 250 channels and I think I watch like three so, you know, I don't need the other 247. <laughs> let's, yeah. put, let's put aside the time horizon for just a second, uh, because we have seen, and Joe, you and I were talking about this before the taping, we've seen in the mobile phone industry, the mobile phone companies change the way they make money, even just over the last decade. Ten years ago, there were pricing plans based on long-distance calls and all that sort of thing. Then it was text. Text messages became a way for the companies to make money. And now, if, you're a, if you want to be a new Verizon customer starting today, any plan you're going to choose from, it's going to be based on the data, unlimited texts, <clears throat> unlimited phone calls. So we've seen a, a level of nimbleness in the mobile phone companies. That which are not very nimble companies. Which are not no. very nimble companies. And yet, if the cable companies decide they're going to make a break and go the a la carte route, who are some of the winners and who are some of the losers in, in all of this? It would seem like a content provider like Disney, which has ESPN right. and the Disney Channel, it would seem like Disney is potentially a winner in all of this. Yeah, I think you're a winner if you own top-shelf brands and networks. So ESPN, for example, is one that it would be kind of a can't-live-without. That's why a lot of people have cable is just to watch ESPN and have access to that. Or other leaders in niche categories, like CNBC, for example, is basically what keeps me on cable. Otherwise, I'd drop it. And it's those... You know, top shelf leaders and individual verticals that I think are the ones that are really valuable. And, you know, in a Disney's case, you could actually end up doing better off. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing HBO doing the same thing with HBO Go. They're offering you that option to just have the a la carte. Obviously, you have to subscribe to HBO to get that. But I think when you look at the value chain as a whole, uh, to me, yeah, the content providers stand out as the ones who really stand to win because they're the ones bringing you what you want in the first place. If you're Hulu and Netflix, Aren't you hoping that things stay exactly the way they are? Because you've got, you know, to Johnson's point, you're not forcing people to buy channels they don't want. So I'm assuming that one potential loser are those companies. Or am I wrong? And it's really more like Comcast and Time Warner want to just keep this train going as long as it can. Well, so I think one of the observations there is that with, with companies like Netflix and Hulu who don't actually provide the content, I mean, they just get it to you. Uh, more competition, you know, the concern is that it's going to raise the content costs over time, which with companies like Netflix and Hulu, they're going to have to figure out a way to deal with that. They either, uh, you know, in Netflix's case, they don't do commercials, they just charge you a subscription fee. So either they're going to have to raise their subscription fees or they're going to have to introduce commercials into the mix, whereas Hulu has the commercials now already uh, along with the subscription fees. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, more competition certainly is going to introduce the possibility of rising content costs, which could be, you know, harmful to companies like Netflix and Hulu. Where do you guys think that sports programming falls in all of this? Uh, our colleague uh, Tim Hansen has mentioned in the past that he thinks it would be really interesting if, whether it was Apple uh, or Netflix, did some sort of test with sports programming. Maybe, and uh, this is Tim's suggestion: go to a major college conference and make a bid for 
a single sport, Big East basketball. So the only place you can watch the Big East basketball tournament or the regular season and then the postseason tournament is on iTunes. Or, or YouTube. On, or, or YouTube or something like that. It, it seems like significant live programming like that still needs a home. And I'm just wondering if you guys have thoughts on, on where that shakes out. Oh, that's interesting. I do think you could see a lot of it shifting online. And if anyone's curious, live programming around sports is kind of the last secure ground in television content. The reason is you can't really DVR it, right? Because you actually want to watch a sporting event right. when it happens. It's part of an experience. And that's why you're seeing all these sports networks or you know, I shouldn't say networks, but the people who own the actual content themselves. So conferences, for example, with college football, who were signing, or the NFL, these huge deals, these huge TV contracts when everyone else is suffering. And that's because they're the last place where advertisers can go to really connect with viewers instead of just hitting a DVR wall. Yeah, I mean, just in regard to the sports uh, question there, I mean, I, I, it, I look at golf, for example, and while you know, the other 44 tournaments during the year may not be so exciting. We do have four majors, which between the Masters and the U.S. Open and the Open Championship and the PGA Championship, and you can watch those online. I mean, the Masters, for example, has its own app for the iPad. And I mean, I went in there and I watched basically the entire Masters this year on my iPad. I never even turned on the TV. So that was kind of a nice little alternative there. I know this is sort of a, a wide open conversation we've just had, but given all of the companies we've just talked about, and even you can pick one that we haven't even touched on yet. If you're betting on a company for the future of where cable television is going, whether it stays the same or whether you think it is going to unbundle in the next two to five years, what's a company that you would bet on that you think, you know what, no matter how this shakes out, they're going to be fine? Joe? Hmm. I think Disney is a good one because of the ESPN and Disney franchises are so incredibly valuable. If I had to get a little more or a little less mainstream, I'd say Google, which owns YouTube. And even though the dominant story of Google is online advertising, YouTube is a huge, huge beast that generates tons of traffic. And they're trying to shift more towards doing original content on YouTube. And I think that could lead to some more disruption down the road. Jason? Yeah, I'd agree with Disney, but more for ESPN. I mean, Disney, obviously, with Disney Channel is great. ESPN, to me, is one of those things that just is a tremendous franchise. Um, and then I, I would go a little bit in a different direction and just, you know, the, the the people who actually supply us the Internet, the pipes, you know, I mean, the people who get that data to our homes, I think that they're going to be the ones who really control a lot of what's going on. And so those companies, I think, stand to benefit. Happy 85th birthday to 7-Eleven. Uh, it is 7-Eleven Day. There are free Slurpees being offered today, although depending on when you listen to the podcast, you know, if you, you may have already missed it. Uh, a few stats to throw out about 7-Eleven, guys. More than 46,000 stores in 16 countries. 7-Eleven opens a new store on average every two hours. It was the first uh, retail outfit to uh, have a 24-hour store, so the first 24-hour convenience store. And they sell somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 million Slurpees every month. That is that is a massive number. I have a couple of more stats for you. All right, I think we were all kind of thinking the same stuff here. Uh, so they are going to give away approximately 5 million Slurpees today. Okay. July is the best-selling Slurpee month because it's typically the hottest in most places sure. in the United States. And there may or may not be an official 7-Eleven on the streets of Cairo, Egypt. There is a store with a 7-Eleven sign over it. I know it because I went in there. Now, whether it's actually an official 7-Eleven, I'm not sure. But 
There may be a 7-Eleven in Cairo, Egypt, too. Maybe one of our dozens of listeners can give us confirmation the next time they're in Cairo. Please. Joe, do you have any, any thoughts or just memories and observations about 7-Eleven? Well, being a good country boy, when I moved to the city, I discovered that there were 7-Elevens that didn't sell gasoline, and that just blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, why would anyone go to these tiny little crappy stores? Just but, the candy. Yeah. Turns out you can shove them in a lot of small places in the city. We have a relatively new 7-Eleven near uh, full headquarters that opened up. I think in the last 12 months or so, maybe maybe about 18 months ago. But here's what I just discovered. They got some damn good coffee. Yeah. It's 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 catty corner from a it's Starbucks, but it, they, they got some strong you gotta coffee. you got to get in there when it's fresh. I mean, there's a difference between morning and afternoon. Yeah, I, I, still, I still am not brave enough to, to buy one of those, like, r- hot dogs that are, like, <laughs> rotating. They just seem like... They gross me out. Yeah. I almost hurled one day looking at one. Oh, on that lovely note, Joe Mager... Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.